Hello, everyone, and welcome to OpenView's Build Podcast. If you've listened to our past few episodes, you know that our first season of Build really revolves around the first 100 days. And each week, we are interviewing different leaders from top technology companies about the first 100 days after a major change within their organization, or quite frankly, leading up to this major change. We are partnering with technology leaders who have actually gone through these experiences and have lived to tell the tale. So today we have Omar Hussein, who was previously the president and CEO of Improvada. Before he was at Improvada, Omar was the founder and CEO of Anchor Silk, an e-commerce software company spun out of CompuWare, where he was the GM of its window tools and testing business. So Omar has served in senior executive leadership roles, and he has led marketing, product, business development efforts in various startups. Today, we are going to be focusing on Omar's time at Improvada and what happened within the company when it decided to have a major pivot at a certain period of its growth. Hello, Omar, and welcome to our uh, podcast. Hi, Devin. So to kick things off, can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Improvada? So as you mentioned, I'm Omar Hussain. I was the presidency of Improvada. I was first brought into the company by the investors when they were about to invest a, a Series A. So I joined when basically we didn't quite have a product or customers, but a good idea. We were about to finish raising our first Series A. And I left Improvada in, I would say, fall of 16. And in that journey, we had pivoted the company a couple of times. We went public, and then finally we got bought out by private equity. And the company had grown from sort of uh, zero to about, I would say, $170 million in, in revenues. Excellent. Quite the journey there. Quite the journey. So tell me uh, initially when you had joined, what was the, what was the value prop? What was the, the problem you were trying to solve for your, your market? Well, when we first got funded, it was funded as a security company focused on biometric authentication. Once we were there, we very quickly discovered that while biometric authentication was nice and interesting... At that time, it wasn't going to become a big business. And people were more interested in solving the sort of password management problem. And so we went back to our investors and said, you know, we have an idea that, you know, is bigger than what we're originally funded for. And we need to retool the business to go do that. We were very fortunate that we had, you know, amazing investors who were, uh, had a lot of confidence in the management and were willing to support us. So we retooled the business and launched about, I would say, about 18 months, two years after we got funded with a single sign-on appliance focused on the SMB and mid-market. So when you and I met uh, a couple months ago, you told me this story about this major pivot, and I was just uh, super intrigued by it. And I know that a number of companies in our portfolio and our broader network, you know, they're thinking about making pivots like this in order to become more efficient and effective businesses. But it's a scary thing. So I think getting your two cents and telling a story about how you prepared for that major business pivot, because I'm sure so much went into it, and I'm sure it was a very stressful event. I think our audience would really benefit from that. Okay. Well, the, the first pivot was an easy one, Devin, because we were still early stages of our business and we knew that what we were doing wasn't resonating in the market. So the, the impact wasn't quite as big. The second pivot that we did, which was in 2010, we had grown to roughly a $30 million business and we had grown very rapidly. And then in 09, we had, you know, if, you, if everybody remembers, a major recession and our business had sort of slowed down dramatically. And we realized that we couldn't just 
continue to grow and become a big business as a single sign-on appliance. And that's when we decided to pivot and become focused on healthcare as an industry and become a healthcare security company. At the time, 50% of our customers were in healthcare and 50% were not. So the really scary part was kind of letting go of half your revenue to chase the other half of your revenue. Absolutely. And what were the signs that it just wasn't working? Were you losing, was it the, the market just too competitive? Were you losing deals to competitors? What were, what were the triggers? I think what ends up happening was that we had grown very rapidly. So we had a wonderful ramp up after we launched our first product. We did 1 million, 5 million, 10 million, then 18. And then it suddenly started to slow down in 09 and we thought it was the recession. But when we started to look at our business, we realized that, you know, we had done really well. And this is sort of law of small numbers that we had gotten to this stage, but to really build a big business, it was going to require a major retooling effort if we were going to stay in the single single sign-on space. And in the healthcare space, we were solving a more critical problem. Mm. So the pain you was stronger. Exactly. The value proposition was more compelling, the market. We and, and you know, philosophically, our belief was that you have to basically own your market. You have to own the hill. Whatever the hill is, you gotta own it so that you can defend it, you're the best at it. And single sign-on was a crowded space. There were a lot of other people, there were a lot of other stories, a lot of different uh, avenues to solve the problem. And when we saw the opportunity in healthcare, we said, okay, we're going to let go of half of our revenue and we're going to focus on healthcare because there's a huge market and we have the best product for it. And if we make more investments in technology and improve our product even more, you know, we'll be kind of uh, the winners. And it turned out to be great because, you know, at the end of the day, we literally, we would win 60% of all new business. We would win without anybody ever looking at another option. We won 95% of all new deals. We had over 98% renewal rates. So, and we were, you know, very high net promoter score. So we, once we focused, we could make the investments to make ourselves the best in the space. And that's what allowed us to be very successful. So when you came to that realization, this is what the, the business needed to do in order to, to truly scale and become that really big company that you knew you could become. Can you walk us through what went into that? I mean, between the communication to the board, the, the prep work behind the scenes, announcing it to the company, we'd love to just dig into those different areas and, and talk about what went into it, what were sort of the stressful moments, if you will. <laughs> okay. You're shaking up all my past memories. Uh, <laughs> so the first thing is, I think, is once we started to socialize the idea of becoming healthcare, it required getting the team bought in, the management team. And the best way to do it was we went sort of on this offsite and we laid out a three-year vision. We said, okay, today we're you know, this enterprise single sign-on company, we're successful and this is what we look like. What do we want to be in three years? And you start with what the goal is. And so we said in three years, it would be great if we were the healthcare security company. And, you know, to do that, we had some metrics. We said, okay, you know, this is how our positioning would have to be in three years out from now. This is what the revenues would look like, the products, distribution, all of that. And then we went back to where we were at the time and said, okay, what do we have to do to change to transition the business to that direction? And how do we care of our existing customers that are non-healthcare? How do we continue to support them? What will that business look like? Planning that out methodically 
and thinking of it as a sequential set of steps based on an objective you want to reach two or three years later made it so much easier for everybody to digest and understand what they had to do and what the company had to do to get there. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the big moment where we all sort of decided, okay, this is doable. We could actually do it. The other big question we had to ask was, what are all the things that can go wrong? And if you can actually identify why it won't work and have solutions for them, then it builds your confidence to be able to do it. Then we went in front of the board. And I think, you know, there was a lot of nervousness. But I think, you know, once again, we had great investors who believed that, you know, we, they wanted to build a big company and you were not going to build a big company where we were. So we had to take some decision. And we had done enough of our homework. We showed them what the transition would look like. They accepted it. And that was it. When we, once you make a decision, then it was just, let's go. Got it. And so for that strategic offsite that you had, you had your... I would assume like head of sales, head of marketing, head of product. Entire executive team. Okay. Product, engineering, finance, sales, marketing, human resources. Every executive was there. And was there any pushback within the group? Did it take some convincing within that inner team to come to a decision that, yes, this is the right plan for the business? Or was it just so obvious? I think the the plan was right and it was obvious that it was the right thing to do the hardest part was letting go of the old piece of the business mm. nobody likes to give up on revenue yeah <laughs> and people are always scared that you know should we still keep a little bit of focus and you know how should we do this and you know the the reality is that you can't put one foot in and one foot out mm-hmm Manage your exit out of the existing business, but you've got to be determined that this is where we're going to go. And giving up the revenue from an existing customer standpoint or for those inbound leads that were coming in where it's like, ah, this, is, this would be such a good one, but we really can't do it. Well, or was it some combination of both of those? Things? It was a combination of both of those. It was a combination of saying, okay, this is our core business. We're going to have a team focused on it, but it's going to be a much smaller team. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do any unnatural acts to grow that business. We're going to manage it. We have a product that we can still sell to them so and we'll support them. But we're not going to go out of band to do, focus on that business. Mm-hmm. So if something doesn't fit into the sweet spot, and this is, this is a really big point in all of this, is you have to identify what you're going to let go and what you're going to keep. Mm-hmm. And we knew we needed some revenue coming in from the existing business to sort of fund the investment to continue to grow in, you know, the, the healthcare trajectory. But it was going to be a managed decline, not a rapid decline. And so, and it worked perfectly. You know, we thought it would decline over three years. It ended up declining over five years, you know. And we had great products. We could support our customers. So, you know, our customers were happy and some of them are still around. You know, we support them. We just don't focus on selling to new ones in the space. So it sounded like from a product standpoint, I mean, the product really served the need of the market. So I'm assuming a lot didn't have to happen behind the scenes to to fine tune the solution to make this pivot. Which group do you think was impacted most by this change? And how did you go about preparing and getting them ready? I would assume it would be some combination of sales and marketing. Yeah, so I think that a lot of it is how you message, position, and what kind of go-to-market and distribution you build. The core product, you're right, was didn't require a lot of work, but we had it to had to add 
new attributes and capabilities to the product to make it more compelling and resonate more with our healthcare audience. So originally, things that we had done that were very sort of cross-industry had less value. There were few things that had much higher value in healthcare. So from a product perspective, it was okay. The roadmap was now adding things that would make this a compelling offering in the healthcare space, like a no-brainer. The hardest part was actually changing the messaging and positioning because you were known as one thing and you had to now become known as another thing. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard because we spent a lot of time and money being known as a single sign-on company. And now we had to be known as a healthcare security company. And so that transition took time. And then, you know, you have to rebuild and revamp the sales team because you need people who can sell into healthcare, who understand what it takes. Because when you go vertical, you have to become the expert in that vertical industry. So it wasn't just that we were shifting, but we were taking technology and becoming very vertically focused. So from our partnerships, our go-to-market, our packaging, our positioning, our delivery mechanism, all had to be tailored to that industry and their needs. So there were unique things and services we had to provide to provide the quality because healthcare is a completely different business. It is, you know, 365, 24-7, 365. It never shuts down. A hospital is never down. So you have to build a product that you'll be able to maintain and support without ever going down. And having that same amount of service, whether a doctor is trying to access a system at 3 o'clock in the morning or, you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So I would assume that team definitely increased in size. Definitely. That's how, the big... How much so, would you say, to serve the needs of that market? Originally, I think, you know, we started off with a few guys, but it nearly doubled mm. in the first year, I would say. From a sales point, you said that you know you had to really rebuild that team. Did you only end up keeping those sales reps that had originally sold to healthcare and then add a whole new set of new hires to the group? What, yeah. what exactly went, went down there? Well, we partitioned the group. We said, okay, there's going to be a healthcare sales team, and it had a couple of people, and then we started, eventually grew to you know nearly 20-plus people. And the non-healthcare, we said, okay, we're not going to do a lot of effort to get non-healthcare customers, but we do have a product that people want to buy. So we're going to have a much smaller team. And that team basically came down in size fairly significantly, not in the first year, but in the second and third year, it became a much smaller team of a few people just focused on solving problems for customers that came to our website. Eventually, that team just disappeared mm. because that business didn't exist. And we had you know, both an inside sales model and an enterprise sales model. So we had a variety of different sales reps. But, and we were also global. So we became a global healthcare company. So it was not just transitioning in the U.S., it was also transitioning our business internationally, too. For marketing and messaging, did you leverage an external firm to help you with the branding piece? Or was this something that you handled internally? We did both. We did some internal, we did some with external firms. The key was we knew that we were not going to be able to change our message overnight, so we had to build a mechanism by which we could transition the company slowly, emphasizing on a few things. That allowed us to keep the existing customers and meet certain needs while really starting to create a focus in healthcare. Mm-hmm. So it was a and, gradual, a gradual. Yeah, a gradual. it was a transition. I would say it was like, you know, like a relay race. You pass the baton from one market to another. How long was that race in total? How many months? I would say it took a little over 18 months. Okay. The first year... 
it didn't change dramatically. The second year, it started to change fairly significantly. And by the end of the second year, we were starting to be much more healthcare oriented. And you could see it in our, our growth. You know, we were st- once the brand started to get established and people knew and we had successful customers and we were delivering, you know, a product that people loved, we suddenly started to become healthcare. How did this pivot change your business culturally? Well, I think it made us very, very sensitive to the industry we were serving. We really understood the dynamics of what happened in healthcare. And healthcare is a, is a very interesting vertical, and it's a very difficult market because the end product is a patient, and patient outcomes are the most important thing. And I think we had to become sensitive to the fact that, you know, the technology we provide are to providers that are taking care of patients, and they don't have a lot of time. They have a lot of requirements, and, you know, it's a very, very difficult business. Most healthcare companies are nonprofits or government organizations. And so you have to change your entire culture in the sense that you have to have a lot more empathy Mm -hmm. for not just the users, the buyers, and the industry itself in order to be able to deliver the kind of products that will resonate with them. Makes total sense. So looking back, it sounds like it was very successful. And I would love to, you know, as we wrap up, kind of understand you know, big picture, what this really did for your business. But looking back, would you have done anything differently? No, I think, you know, it's easy to look back and say we could have done something better because you can always do things better. I think one of the interesting things is, you know, that three-year plan that I told you we built, we constantly looked at it. We were nearly 80, 90% accurate in our estimates and timing. I was very fortunate. We had an amazing team. The team just gelled. Everybody bought into the vision, and everybody delivered what they signed up for, and that made life so much easier. I mean, we, I remember three years later when we were doing the next planning for the next phase of our growth, we looked back at our plan, and it was nearly identical. How often would you reflect on that plan over the course of those three years? So we always, I always believe that you do two offsites a year with the team. We did one in the spring, which is always to think about the future and where we were going and what we needed. And then one in the fall to sort of build your operating plan for the coming year. And every spring, we would look at the plan and see how are we doing against it. And, you know, we would talk about it. We'd talk about the goals on a quarterly basis. We'd see how we're tracking to the three-year plan. We would analyze what we needed to do or tweak. But we were nearly always on track. You know, the message changed slowly. The distribution model changed. The product set was more focused. Everything across the board that we wanted started to happen. I think one of the few things that we probably could have done better is that we could have accelerated some of our expansion in healthcare faster. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you chose at the time not to. So Mm -hmm. that was fine, too. It worked out really well. So let's zoom all the way out here. What impact did this have on your business? Looking back now, from that point which you made that decision as a you know executive management team and ultimately board to you know your last day at Improvada, what happened? So we became a healthcare company. I mean, like people when I left Improvada, people call up and say, you know, you guys are the experts in healthcare, or you know, look at me as a healthcare guy. And until six years ago, I wasn't a healthcare guy. <laughs> <laughs> I never sold to healthcare, and so I think that. It changed all our perspectives. We became truly, which is the thing that I'm the most proud of, is our customers and our partners 
viewed us as the healthcare security company. We used to joke that you didn't get fired for buying Improvada because we had we knew the customer, we had amazing products that served the customer needs, and we did whatever it took to make customers happy. And we had an amazing run. I mean, the company, if you think about it, the time we pivoted roughly, we were around, what, 30 million, maybe half of our revenue, 15 was healthcare. Mm-hmm. When I left the company, we were around about 160, 170 million. Incredible. And that was all in about from 10 to 16. So six years, that was quite a run. Well, it is quite a run and an amazing story. And clearly there was a, a lot of conviction to make this change. And I love the, the concept of focus. I think it's something that every company knows that it needs to do to a certain extent, but it's a really challenging thing to do. There's too many shiny things out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and we get distracted by whatever's around us. And I think that our ability to just pick the thing that we have decided is the most important we can always tack a little bit on the direction, but directionally, you, you can't keep changing the direction. And I think the only way you get that conviction is if you figured out all the things that could go wrong and you have answers for it, that makes you more confident that what you're doing will probably work. So to end our podcast here today, Omar, I'm going to ask you a couple fun questions. Back <laughs> a little bit. So it sounds like you've had an amazing career. But I'm sure, you know, this wasn't always the plan. Young Omar probably wasn't thinking that he would become, you know, CEO of, as you said, a, a big healthcare IT company. <laughs> so when you were a kid, what did you what did you want to be when you grew up? A CEO. A CEO. <laughs> you knew it day one. Okay. Maybe yeah. not like a healthcare CEO, but you <laughs> <Not> a healthcare <laughs> CEO. I definitely wanted to be a CEO. So it was always in you. I always wanted to run a business and build a business. I love the 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 challenge and the excitement of building a business. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate that I chose a career and went down a path of doing something I love. So I've, ha- you know, obviously we all have good days and bad days, but I have loved what I've done throughout my life, and I've been fortunate to be surrounded with a lot of really smart, interested, passionate people. And sometimes we've had failures, sometimes we've had successes, sometimes we've had big successes. But at the end of the day, the journey has been a lot of fun. So as we continue on with our podcast series here, who should we be interviewing? We've gotten some responses from previous folks that we've had on the podcast here that hearing people from from Slack might be interesting because I think everyone kind of looks to Slack and the viral growth that they had as a SaaS company is just so compelling. So what Mm -hmm. went into that? But is there someone in the industry or some company that you just sort of look to and admire and would love to learn more about? Oh, there's so many great companies out there (laughs) to understand. (laughs) Um, That's the one question you probably stumped me because now my mind is thinking about, hmm, what would I really like to understand? I think, you know, the interesting thing that I find is that, and I don't know who would be a good example of this, so I'm sure, you know, I'd have to rack my brains. But it would be lovely to hear or understand about companies who are transitioning from sort of perpetual businesses mm-hmm. to SaaS businesses and who are taking SaaS businesses and changing the business model. Because I think sometimes, you know, the most interesting things are not what other people have done, but how we can reinvent what we're doing. Yeah, I like you that know, theme of sort of reinvention. Yeah, and I, and I honestly believe that every business has to be reinvented every so often. Yeah. 
I mean, if you think about great companies like Netflix, right? I mean, I was just listening about how their success is based on content. I mean, you know, a few years ago, not few, but, you know, 15 years ago, 20, 18 years ago, they were basically an online video store. Right, exactly. And a company like Blockbuster, similar industry, didn't make that transition, didn't change, yeah. and yeah. look what happened. I like that. I think you just provided your answer, Netflix. Yeah, Netflix <laughs> would be a great story to hear because I think they've done some amazing things. And they've gone from being literally an online video store whose biggest innovation was packaging in terms of an envelope in which you could send a DVD and get it back to now being, you know, spending, I, I, I think I was listening on the radio, they're going to spend $8 billion on content. Unbelievable. So. Well, that's a great idea. I really appreciate you uh, joining in today, Omar. This has been fascinating. Not at all, Devin. Thanks a lot. So thank you everyone for tuning in. If you like what you just heard, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. You can also follow us on Twitter at OpenViewVenture and subscribe to our newsletter that is sent out to just about 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning. Thank you so much. And again, Omar, appreciate it. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Devin. Have a great day. Bye.